Good morning. It's good to be with you again this morning, and uh, but it's good to be here this morning. Amen. Amen. God is good, and uh, we just want to share what God has laid on our heart uh, today. And I want to begin just by acknowledging the Lord in prayer. So let's just bow our heads, please. Dear God, we thank you so much for all of your blessings to us. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning, and thank you for everyone who is here. God, we thank you that you are in our midst, and we are dependent on you this morning. God, I ask that you would be with me now as we share from your word. I ask you to strengthen my mind and my body and my voice and help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. And Father, I pray also that you prepare the hearts of everyone who is here, not so much to hear me speaking, but to hear you speaking through me. So minister to each and every one of our hearts, we pray. Challenge us, dear God, inspire us, encourage us, instruct us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm often um, invited to come to churches and to share my testimony. And usually when I do, I start off by giving the testimony, and many of you heard, so I won't say it again here this morning, uh, about my birth story. My mom was only 16 years old when she fell pregnant with me. And uh, her parents kind of encouraged her that she should have an abortion because they just felt it would really ruin her life. So she went along to uh, an abortion clinic and there at the very last minute in that room, she decided to change her mind. And and um, it's evidenced by the fact that I'm here today that she did. And instead of uh, aborting me, she gave birth to me. And I often tell that story for two reasons. Uh, one, because I never know who might be in the audience in the same situation as my mom. And in fact, I, I heard a story of someone who I, it was a church over uh, near Glasgow that I shared that testimony with. And then several months later, I met someone who went to that church. And she told me that a young lady was in the audience that night that I shared my testimony. And she was pregnant and decided not to go through with the abortion she was decided, uh, had planned to have and had given birth to a little boy. And so that's one life that I know that has been spared through that. So that's one reason I share it. But another reason I shared is because it illustrates uh, for me what has become my life verse. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. Could you bring up the next slide for me? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And that story, as I've shared it uh, in the past, has had a huge impact on my life. I was about 11 or 12 when my mom told me that story. And I'm glad she did because it really helped me to understand that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. It has really made me feel that I didn't just get here by accident or chance, but that God supernaturally, kind of miraculously intervened in the affairs of my life to allow me to be born. And that has given me a real sense of purpose. That I'm here for a reason. That there's something that God wants to do with my life. And for a long time, I really struggled to really know what that was. And then probably in about the year 2000, 1999 or 2000 or so, it became more and more clear to me. And I feel that God spared my life way those many years ago. So that I could do what I'm doing right now. And that is to be able to stand before people and to declare the truth of God's word. God has opened up many opportunities for me to preach, you know, not only here in Scotland, but in other places as well. And I feel like that's why 
God spared my life. That this is what I was meant to do. But I tell you that story not just about me, but because that's the story of each and every one of your lives. You're not here on this planet by accident. You're not here just by happenstance. It's not just because your parents got together. God has a unique plan and purpose for each and every one of our lives. And it's our responsibility to try to seek and find out what that is. So how do we discover what it is that we're really meant to do? There are many people in society today that are living lives full of no purpose, no meaning. They don't really understand why they're here. Tragically, uh, my wife was informing me just last night of someone that we knew, not very well, but I'd met him before and, and seen him a couple of times, who, while we were in Chicago, ended his life. He took his own life. And I don't know what drove him to that, but I've got to think that part of it is a lack of understanding about what his real purpose and the meaning of life was. And that's what each and every one of us need to do. So how do we discover what it is that we are here to do with our life? Uh, often in the news, you hear a story about some report or some study that's been done. Often these are medical studies where someone has done a study and they've decided that, for instance, that, you know, too much coffee is bad for you. Only thing is, a few years later, they do another study and say all the coffee you can drink is good for you or, you know, dark chocolate is good for you or bad for you. You've all heard of these studies. But did you know that someone once did a study about life? Someone actually took their life and said, I'm going to live my life as an experiment to discover what is the real purpose and meaning in life. And we read about this study in the life of a man named Solomon. Solomon decided to vote his life to the research of life and to answer this fundamental question that we have all asked ourselves from time to time. What is the meaning of life? Are you living your life and doing with it what God intended? Well, before we consider the results of his study, we need to know something about this man, Solomon. Who was he? Why should we listen to what he has to say? Is he credible? You know, because one of the things that you think about with studies you see in the newspaper or on TV is who did this study? You know, if uh, the British, you know, medical society does a study, then you give that more weight. But if Joe Bloggs does a study, <laughs> you may not pay much attention to it. So can we put any stock into the results of Solomon's research? Well, here's what we know about Solomon. Next slide, please. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba and the king of Israel. He was also the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon was also one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. So he was, the Bible describes him as the wisest man who ever lived. You know, think of someone very, very smart, but also the wealthiest man who ever lived. His wealth and fame and influence at his time were comparable to that of any individual who has ever lived. Solomon was an incredible individual. And so when he talks about what he discovered about life, he is credible. He's worth paying attention to. And so here's the results of Solomon's study. The first thing Solomon decided to do was to pursue wisdom, to see if wisdom was the key to life. If you would turn within your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I want to read a few verses here. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12 to 18. And let's see what Solomon had to say about this whole idea of the whole purpose in life being the pursuit of wisdom or the pursuit of knowledge. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12 says, I the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind, for which much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Solomon discovered some things about this pursuit of wisdom. And think about it in, in terms of today. Someone who will think that the pursuit of education and degrees, that that's the whole purpose in life. To be as educated as you can. So they want not just a bachelor's, but a master's, a PhD or a doctorate, a postdoctorate degree. They want to just get as much education as they can. Is that the meaning of life? Well, look at verse 14 again. Solomon realized that the more he learned, the more he realized that the things people strive for are really meaningless. The education and the knowledge that he acquired just helped him to really see that everything people were pursuing in life was really pointless. Verse 15, he discovered that all of his wisdom didn't really change things very much. No matter how much he learned and how wise he was, it didn't make much difference in his life or in the world. Verse 18, he realized that the more he observed and learned, the more aware of life's problems he became. Things like injustice, inequality, poverty, etc. All of these things just were highlighted in his mind. It reminds me of an old expression that ignorance is bliss. <laughs> he realized that the more he learned, then this, the more problems there were in life. Turn with you to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, and just look at something else he concluded about life being a pursuit of wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 12. Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. What Solomon is saying here is that as he observed wisdom and folly, that it was better to be wise than to be a fool. But ultimately, the same fate awaited the wise and the foolish. So he wasn't completely down on wisdom. In fact, in other parts of the book, he talks about wisdom being a defense and wisdom being better than money or weapons of war. So he acknowledged that there was some benefits to being wise and highly encouraged it. But he also realized that there was more to life than wisdom. Because at the end of your life, no matter how many degrees you have, no matter how smart you are, how educated you are, you will uh, um, face the same fate as a foolish person. 
the wise person and the foolish person both will die. And so he says there has to be more to life than the pursuit of wisdom. Well, if Solomon found that wisdom wasn't the main purpose in life, then what else might it be? Well, next slide, please. Solomon then turned to pleasure to see if it brought the satisfaction he desired. Let's read verses 1 to 3 in chapter 2. Solomon says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with my wisdom. So he's saying that he, he didn't lose his wisdom as he was doing this. He realized what he was doing. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So Solomon tried to be the wisest man, educated, the pursuit of wisdom. That didn't do it for him. So then he turned his mind to pleasure. He tried laughter. Maybe it was just having a good time. And some of us know people like that. That their whole life seemed to be about just having a good time. That's all they care about. You know, they want to have to go to the next party and just not take life very seriously. He tried laughter. He tried wine. He tried partying and having a good time. Solomon even tried sex. Did you know this man had 700 wives and 300 concubines? Now, to me, that doesn't sound like fun, but Solomon thought it was. Uh, it's hard enough keeping one woman happy. Imagine the thousand. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but Solomon decided that this is what I was going to pursue. He just gave himself to having a good time. But let's turn now to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 to 6, and see what he says about this. Is that the whole meaning of life? Is the whole point of life to have a good time? To enjoy yourself, to have fun. Verse 2 of chapter 7 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Solomon came to the conclusion that life is not just about having a good time. It's not about trying to go to the next party or just laugh and drink wine and, and have a good time all the time. In fact, he says that it was actually better to go to a funeral than go to a party. And every time I read that scripture, I'm just really struck by what that means. Because how many of us would rather go to a funeral than a party? None of us. In fact, if you're like me, you, you really hate funerals. You know, and, and hope you don't have to go to any. But he says that it's better to go to a funeral because at a funeral, it makes us think about the important things in life. It sobers us up. It reminds us of our own mortality. And so it's more benefit to us going to a funeral than go to a party. Because the whole point of parties is to forget the serious things in life. Forget our problems. Kind of put them aside and just enjoy ourselves. And he says that that is meaningless. So there's actually more benefit to going to the house of sorrow than to the house of laughter. But Solomon ultimately concluded, just as he did with wisdom, that the purpose of life is not to pursue pleasure. 
And this is something that many people in the world are doing today. We live in this kind of society that just wants to have a good time, wants to take life not very serious at all, but that's not the meaning of life. So after seeking wisdom with education and knowledge, the whole key, after deciding I'm going to devote my life to just having a good time and find out that that's not what life is about, he now turned his attention to work, material success, and accomplishments. Next slide, please. Read with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, what he says about this, verses 4 through 11. So again, he's doing this experiment on life. He's tried getting as educated as he can. He's tried just having a good time. Now he's going to try work and see if that is the whole meaning of life. Is that the purpose for us being here? Are we to work and accomplish things and accumulate things? And if we accumulate a lot of things and accomplish a lot of things in life, then life has been a success. Well, let's see what Solomon has to say. Verse number four. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of, uh, groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and providences. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of a man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. <clears throat> Here it talks about how Solomon undertook great projects. He built houses and planted vineyards. He brought slaves and had many flocks and herds. And he took great pride in everything he accomplished. And he accomplished some incredible things. He didn't just build a great house. He built a great nation. Great cities. In fact, he was so famous for his wealth and accomplishments that people came from around the world. The scripture talks about how the queen of Sheba came to view what she had heard about him. And when she saw it in person, she said the half hasn't even been told. It just blew her away. All that he had accomplished and all that he had. Yet he realized that it didn't really satisfy. That it really didn't accomplish very much. Let's look at something else he says about this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 through 17. Here's what he says about someone who will devote their life to making money, to accomplishing things. Verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. How many of us have felt, if I only made a couple hundred pounds a week more, I would really be doing good? Have you ever thought that? You know, just a couple hundred pounds a week more. But you know what happens when you're making a couple hundred pounds a week more? You're thinking, if I only made a couple hundred pounds a week more, then I would really be set. You know, if, you were to, if someone were to win a million pounds tomorrow morning, 
Now, today, as you sit here in church and think about that, you think, oh, I'd be set. I'd be content. I'd be happy. But if tomorrow you want a million pounds, it wouldn't be long before you'd be wishing you had another million pounds. Because no matter how much money you have, you will never be satisfied. The more we get, the more we want. And that's why he said that it's like a chasing after the wind, almost like a dog chasing his tail. You never, ever get to that point to where you have all that you want. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The more you have, somehow the more you need to spend out because there are more people who's coming to, to eat at your table. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Many of us think if I only had more money, then I wouldn't have a worry in the world. But what we don't realize is that the more money you have, often the more worries you have. Because the more you're thinking about making sure you don't lose it and how to, how to manage it. He goes on to say in verse 13, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Solomon realized that all that he had amassed, all that he had accomplished, he wasn't going to be able to take any of it with him. Do you know what death ultimately is? It's the great equalizer. Because whether you're Mac Michael Jackson who died a few years ago, extremely famous and wealthy, or you some poor guy on the street that nobody's ever heard of sleeping under a bridge somewhere, when they die, they're absolutely the same. It's the great equalizer. We're not going to take any of it with us. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to accomplish things. We shouldn't have a sense of a pride in, in what we do have as long as it's not sinful pride. It's okay to have some nice things, but we've got to make sure we understand that these things are only temporary. There's a um, saying that says, soon life, life will soon be over. And only what we do for Christ will last. Only what we do for Christ will last. We have to make sure that we are investing our lives in things that will last all of eternity. Verse 16 says, this too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. We're not going to take any of this with us. And in another passage in Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about how difficult it was for him to come to grips with the fact that he could work his whole life to accomplish all that he had. And how did he know if the person he left it to would be a wise man or a fool? Somebody would come along and spend all that he had accomplished and all that he had amassed and just blow it. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Because Solomon's son was not very wise and the kingdom was divided in his reign. So all the things that we work for, we're going to leave it behind and somebody else is going to enjoy it. Now, that's not a very pleasant thought to think of on a Sunday morning. But, you know, that bank account that you have, somebody else is going to spend that money one day. That home you're living in, somebody else is going to live in it. The car you drive, you know, that nice suit of clothes that you wear, you would never loan to anybody. Guess what? One day somebody else is going to wear it. I remember many years ago when we first came to Scotland, 
we uh, didn't have a car at that time and we went to go visit a church on the south side of Glasgow and afterwards we had gotten a bus there and afterwards one of the members in the church was trying to arrange a lift for us and there was this one man in the church he had a big beautiful car with cream interior and they asked you know the person said would you mind giving this family a lift home so they wanted to be on the bus because he was in this big car by himself and his response was I don't uh, allow children in my car and our children were, were like smaller than that these big kids we have today, you know. But, you know, what he didn't realize is that he's going to leave that car behind. All of these things. And somebody's going to drive it. And guess what? Somebody's probably going to put a bunch of kids in it with hamburgers and french fries and soft drinks, you know. So all of these things that we can hold on to and act like we're not going to share and we care so much about it, we're going to leave it all behind. So in all of this, Solomon discovered there's nothing wrong with getting an education. In fact, it's a beautiful thing and we should develop our minds and we should make the most of the gifts that God has given us. But that's not the whole point in life. No one will stand before God in the judgment and have God ask them, well, what degree do you have? You don't get into heaven because you've got a master's degree or a Ph.D. That's not going to matter. We should enjoy life. The scripture says that we should have fun and enjoy our life and all of There's nothing wrong with having some laughter and, and, and having a good time, all of these things. But we have to understand that that's not the reason that we're here. We're here for a higher purpose than that. And if your whole pursuit in life is having fun, you've missed the point. There's nothing wrong with having a good job and to accomplish things and to make the most of your life, to build a business and, and all of these things. But make sure that you're not wrapped up in these things. That you don't, they're not your God. You don't love these things more than anything else because that's not going to matter as well. So what is it that we should really pursue in life? Well, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the end of the book. In fact, in my Bible, this section we're going to read now is uh, headed the conclusion of the matter, which is a good way to put it because this experiment that Solomon was doing and recorded here in the book of Ecclesiastes about life. Now he comes to what's the conclusion? What did he find out about life? What is the real meaning? Verse 9 of chapter 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like golds. They're collected sayings like firmly embellished nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Solomon discovered that the conclusion of the whole matter was this, to fear God and keep his commandments. Because this is the whole duty of man. This is why we were created. This is why we're here. And we talk about fearing God. We're not talking about being afraid of God, shaking in our boots or thinking that God is some kind of mad judge that just wants to throw us down into hell or to do bad things to us. That's not what he means. He's talking about fearing God in the sense of having a healthy respect for God, having a healthy appreciation for him. Uh, it's kind of the relationship that a father and child should have. 
you know, where children shouldn't be afraid of their dad or afraid of their mom for that matter either, but they should have a healthy respect for them and know that they mean business and they're to be respected. And that's what our duty is, to fear God and keep His commandments. We were created to live in relationship with God. We were created to do His will in and with our life. And if we spend our life doing anything else other than that, then we have missed the whole point. And this is something that you might think, well, as Christians, we don't need to be reminded of that because we know this. We've accepted Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and we go to church and we're Christian. And so, of course, we know that God is the most important thing. But do you realize it's very important for us to be able to say that, to know that, but not really be living that from our heart? Ask yourself this very challenging question. Is your whole life centered on fearing God and keeping his commandments? Is that the whole purpose for your life? Or is it that you have another purpose and this is kind of a secondary thing? Is your main purpose to make money? But yeah, you got God on the side too. you know, throw him in for just a little bit of an extra. Or is he really, truly the center of your life? For many years, I was a Christian, but yet God wasn't at the center of my life. My purpose for living, my purpose for being wasn't to do his will. It was to do my will. I just made sure I did enough of God so that way I could say, oh, I got a connection with him. I got a relationship with him. That's not not enough. The whole purpose for your being here is not to be a mom or grandma or a father or granddad is not to be a business owner is not to even take care of your family all of these things are secondary your number one priority is to fear God and keep his commandments to live in relationship with him to make sure that he is at the center of your life Paul had this down so pat he understood it so well that he said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain you know what he was saying is that the only reason for me to be alive is to do God's will. And when God no longer wants me on this earth, I'm ready to go because that's far better. Paul's attitude was, I don't want to live one moment beyond what God wants me to. I don't want to spend my life doing anything other than what God intended for me to do. What is it that really motivates your life? What is it that's at the core of your being? Do you know your purpose today? Understanding your purpose brings such freedom in your life. It helps you to know what to say no to and what to say yes to. Understanding your purpose brings such peace in your life. Because even if other things aren't going the way that you might like to, as long as you know that you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life, then you can be at rest. That's the challenge for us today. Is there more to life than this, than what we see out here? Yes. It's living in relationship with God every day of our life. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we say a word of prayer? Would you just take a moment uh, just before I pray, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, to just reflect on what God has been saying to you this morning. Just for a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there someone here this morning who God has spoken to and you realize that you're not living your life for his purpose, that you've been pursuing the wrong things. Well, here's an opportunity that God has given you this morning to make a change, to surrender your life to him and ask him to come into your heart 
and to begin to live your life for the purpose that God created you. Because when your life is over, as the scripture we just read says, you're going to have to stand before him in the judgment and give an account of the deeds done in this body, whether they were good or evil. Is there someone here this morning who wants to accept Jesus as their savior? Just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to become a Christian today. I want to live my life for the purpose God created me. Is there one? Is there someone here that although you are a Christian, you just want to acknowledge that God has spoken to you this morning and you want him to help you to, to devote your life and to center your life on his priorities and to fulfill his plan and purpose for your life? Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, pray for me. I see your hand there. Amen. Amen. I see that hand there. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we can receive from it, the challenge, but also the encouragement, dear God. Father, it's encouraging to know that we aren't here by accident or a mistake, but that you allowed us to be born because you have a plan and a purpose for our life. Father, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us, dear God, to discover that, what it is that you want us to do as individuals, and to make sure that we completely surrender our lives to you and allow you to work out your plan in our life. Father, I thank you for those who raised their hands this morning saying, yeah, pray for me. God, you know what it is that you've spoken to their hearts. I pray, dear God, that you would help them to know what area of their life they need to measure up in and what they need to do, dear God, to come into obedience to your will for their life. Thank you for their courage and their honesty to say, yes, dear God, help me to surrender my life to you. And I pray, dear God, that you would honor that this morning. Father, I pray for all of us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he did on Calvary for us. Help us, dear God, to live lives that are truly devoted to you and to fulfilling your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.